Jim, I, I I just want everyone to know that I'm I'm so horrible and I don't know psychosis perhaps that Jim had the Beastie Boys book upside down and I couldn't watch this entire video cast with that. It would have driven me crazy. Sorry about that, Jim. No man, that's all right. I'm the uh -huh. kind of person that every time I go by the spice track, I put labels on it with names and I got purposely square containers because then it should be scientifically impossible to want to have them like flipped upside down. But I'm the only one who walks by and arranges it every single time. <laughs> so I have trouble concentrating. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I am OCD in my own way as well. So uh, you don't need to apologize at all. So all good. Well, I can tell you that, that obviously you've read that book or done something with that shelf since last time we spoke or else I would have yeah. noticed it before. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, it's such a massive book. I, I, I try to flip through it and read like a chapter every now and then, or just flip through the pictures and stuff. It's just a fascinating read, and uh, I, I mean, I grew up with the BC Boys, you know, from way back in the day. So uh, I appreciate the the history lesson for uh, New York and for the for them as well. When I work out, um, put on the BC Boys. <laughs> I mean, the art form and what they did for the industry. Yeah. alone right what they did to really make it possible to put it in the household of everyone so that we could see the expansive genre of of great hip-hop was amazing mm -hmm. so I, I never read that book though good read huh? that's good stuff it's because apparently there's a movie too the beastie boys movie i haven't had a chance to really? watch the movie yet but uh um I, yeah because uh ad rock and mc uh ad rock and mike d uh you know carried on once uh once uh uh, Yauk died, and then um, they did the book, they did a movie, and then they did some other stuff too, just to kind of you know get the the word out there about the story. I did not know that. That's that's amazing. I'll have to look up, look that up now. But of course, we're here to talk about Star Trek Adventures RPG. Indeed. <laughs> but you know, it's all encapsulated. I'm sure that on a on a starship somewhere in the future, that there is some crewman rocking the Beastie Boys, people who are into 20th century classical music. I'm sure that they are running that soundtrack, right? Absolutely. I mean, if not in the prime universe, certainly in one of the many multiverses, right? The J.J. Abrams movies, oh. all three of them had uh, sabotage in, in, in them. So uh, clearly the Beastie Boys are out there somewhere. That's right. I think the Klingons would love the Beastie Boys. There's <laughs> yeah. one band that they would love. I think they'd get the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, uh, I'm Michael Dismuke, freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG and um, blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for everything Star Trek RPG. And Jim Johnson, you want to introduce yourself? For sure. Uh, Jim Johnson, I am the uh, line manager and uh, I'm sorry, project manager and line editor for Star Trek Adventures RPG, uh, published by uh, Medifius Entertainment. And I just realized I don't have my uh, I don't have my headset plugged in, so uh, I don't even need to be wearing this at all because I, I put it in the wrong jack, and I'm not going to bother with it right now. You probably uh, had say, it on since morning and didn't even realize it. Well, no, I was in a I was in a Twitch uh, interview about uh, two hours ago, and uh, I unplugged it, but then I plugged it back in, but I must have plugged in the wrong jack. So next episode, I'll fix it. But for now, there, there's no need. There's not there's not any ambient ambient noise that you have to worry about. So it's all good. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I have to. There, mm -hmm. I'd be remiss uh, not to lead off. Even though this is going to come out, you know, a couple of weeks after the fact, with the fact mm -hmm. that you went ahead 
and dropped the Utopia Planitia book is coming out. Uh, that's hot news. As of, as is this recorded on April eighteenth, you know, yeah. it'll show up in late May. But well, any reaction so far you're getting from that? Uh, no, it sounds like it, it, I mean it had the reaction on the fan base that I expected. Everybody was excited. Uh, a couple of new people surprisingly said, "What's Utopia Planitia?" They don't know what Utopia Planitia is, and uh, which is fine, you know, because new fans wouldn't necessarily know. Um, although I guess new fans also don't know how to use a search engine or can, <laughs> or can go to Memory Alpha and look it up. But uh, you know, that's neither here nor there, right? Because uh, I know not everybody's a, a tech whiz or anything. But uh, no, it's, uh, the the response has been favorable. Uh, there's some speculation about what it is or what it isn't. And uh, a lot of hopes and dreams, and uh, I think uh, I think people will generally be happy. I've seen some comments that I can't comment on yet because uh, we're we're not close enough to the release yet to talk about it. But uh, I think I um, some people will be very happy, and some people will be disappointed. But I mean, that's true for anything these days. We're, you're a creature of great self control because <laughs> um, you know they say ask questions. And I know you're probably seeing they're going. Ugh! you know and you can't tell so but we do have great things to talk about today in fact the subject we're talking about in the next three episodes this is the first of a three-parter is about what i actually think i'm going to make sure i'm right and i'm thinking this before i say it yeah besides the core rule book and actually even more than the core rule book i refer to these three books the most often and every paragraph to me is a potential story. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the command division, the operations division, and the science division mm -hmm. supplemental rule books that came out back in 2018, right, Jim? Uh, 2018 and 2019, I think, yeah, but mo mostly all within that first, uh, first 18 to 20 months of the game's uh, life. Okay. Now I want to point this out because I'm I'm not always a smart person, but <laughs> as we were preparing and I knew we were going to talk about this today, it all of a sudden struck me that the layout, again, I'm always looking at the layout, right? And the way you lay out um, in a character sheet or on a ship sheet, you have, you know, command con, you have security engineering, and you have science and medicine. Mm -hmm. And those are the books. That's how they divide up. And I was like, was that on purpose? Did you... <laughs> Okay. Now, I, I personally, I personally cannot take credit for it, but I think that was either Nathan or um, somebody in just the whole development. I mean, certainly Nathan was intentional about that because he he wrote the game, right? He wrote the game design and and grouped the the skill, you know, the skills, the disciplines into those six groups, which aligned directly to the divisions, which aligned directly to the books. That's exactly what um, the whole. I mean, that's that's Star Trek, right? I mean, that's that's how that's it worked out, especially for next gen. DS9 yeah. Voyager era. Um, so yeah, that was completely intentional. In fact, if you look at the uh if you look at the original series um um character sheets, I think the design, I think the the layout people have done, if I remember right, I have I'd have to go back and look now. I can't remember. I think they color code the boxes. Whereas in the in the next gen uh layouts, they don't color code the boxes, they're just that orange L cars uh, kind of look. Correct. So again, yeah. a little detail that I like, I let you know, I'm always scouting for artistic Easter eggs. As mm -hmm. a general overview, let's talk about, of course, I don't know if it's an Easter egg, but it's definitely something that people should have noticed when they lay the books next to each other. You want to talk about that, Jim? <laughs> yeah, this is, um, this is something that, so at the time, I mean, these books have been out for a while now. I mean, this is what going on four years. And uh, Sam, Sam Webb was actually the line manager at the time. I was a uh, I was a freelance writer and editor um, on these books, uh, although Command is something special. Command was the first book I was really responsible for. 
um, in terms of like doing the layout or not the layout, but doing the the outline, doing the initial writing, being the lead writer, and then going from there. So um, I've got a lot of heart built into uh, the command book. But anyway, at the time I wasn't the line manager, he was. And uh, he came up with the concept of doing a triptych, which is a, you know, three covers together. And when you put the three covers next to each other, it creates a big picture. Um, it's similar to what they did with the Coda novels here recently. Um, and in fact, I mean, years ago, um, Pocket Books did a, a four cover um, panel uh, uh, for the Mission Gamma books, the DS9 books. Uh, but anyway, so if you get if you take the three books, put them next to each other, it, it shows a complete picture. And uh, we even we, we have that picture on um, on the website available for download. The the, the wallpaper. I don't know if you're going to show that or not. Oh yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I'll definitely. Um, yeah, but it, it was just really cool when, when he gave, when he gave me the concept and he sent me the sketches. I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. And then sure enough, the the artist uh, delivered on uh, three great covers that just look great, you know, together. Yep, that was Eli Maffey. I think I have. I'm pretty sure I did a pretty. Yeah, I did. Oh, actually, that was one of my favorite interviews ever on Continuing yeah. Mission Two. Him and his cat are up there. He's a, he's a he's from the San Francisco Bay Area too. So we may cross paths in person nice. one day. But uh, definitely, I display it there. Um, let me just go ahead and share screen real sure. quick for those who are watching the video cast of this. You'll be able to appreciate this. And if if you don't if you can't see the video, you can go to the uh, Modifius.net website and um, go to the Star Trek Adventures and then scroll to the bottom of the page, you'll see a box that says downloads. You can just get it right there. Good. Yep, there. So that's the three covers. And then there's the, the actual artwork itself is available on the Medivia site for, uh, for download. But yeah, that's, that's effectively it. The, 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 the art on the website doesn't have the trade dress or the logos. So if you just want to see the beautiful art by itself, you can, uh, you can check that out. Yeah, I mean, this, is, this is great. Yeah, and I love looking at it, you know, as I as for those of you who can see it right now, you know, you got the operations division first with obviously the security officer, and then you got this engineer, this Benzite engineer, and yep. it crosses over. You can see obviously who the captain is, the female there with her first officer. And then you definitely see who the science officer is in comparison to the medical officer who's tending to a fallen person. So I just thought yep. brilliant, um, you know, and in the interview, we talk about it with Eli too um, on the blog. So mm -hmm. Again, never ignore the art in these books, okay? <laughs> um, we're going to jump in now. Um, uh, actually, right before we get into the book-by-book -book breakdown, let me ask one more question, Jim, because I want to pick your brain about why I have you sure. here. Um, you know, you had just come out with the core rule book, basically. Um, it was new. You had modules coming out. Mm -hmm. Where in the design process was this? Was this before the core rule book came out? What made you know that this had to be done? Uh, I mean, this was uh, the, the division books and the quadrant books were part of the overall initial um, slate of products that we announced at launch. Really, uh, we knew we knew we were going to do uh, obviously the core books. We knew we were going to do at least one adventure book and we knew we were we committed to doing the three division books and the four quadrant books. Uh, th those were all on the development um, schedule right from the very beginning. Um, we didn't start all of them right away, of course, because we wanted to do it in a phased rollout. Um, but I started working on the command book. Oh, uh, it must have been the fall of 2017 after the core book launched. I think we went into it and we had a little bit of help because uh, some of the stuff, especially in um, chapter five of the command book, specifically the, specifically the command book, um, some of this stuff would have gone into the core book, but the core book was so big already that we didn't want to release a, a 400, 450 page core book. So we held some of that stuff back for the command book because we knew we were going to do the command book. 
Uh, so that's where where um, some of the stuff in the command book kind of doesn't fit the command book, but it's it was good content that we couldn't fit into the into the core book. So this was the next logical place to put it. Well, I haven't um, noticed that. that oh well, that's good. That's good. I mean, I mean, all of it's relevant to command to some extent because fortunately, yeah. command is like the diplomats and the politicians and the negotiations and stuff. And so the the whole section about social conflict and the sidebar about telepathy and there's a couple other bits and bobs in here. Um, you know, kind of fit the whole command thing. It's certainly better than operations or science. Um, yeah. So you know, we made it fit, and you know, I did a little creative editing just to try to you know bring it into shape a little bit. Um, but yeah, for the most part, um, all these books were 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 on the on the on the you know on the on the schedule right from the very beginning. Um, yeah. Once we once we released the uh, the core book. Yeah, one of the things I look at after I got through my first read of it and sat back in uh, all of them together, I was like, wow, this is like a, a course. If you were to go to Starfleet Academy and get your curriculum, mm-hmm. this would be the curriculum. And you know, after you read through the curriculum book, which track you want to study. Mm-hmm. This And so now we're going to just jump in and we're going to start with the command division. The command division would be um, command officers and con. I'll speak just to TNG era right now. These are the people who wear red generally um, yeah. in TNG era. It's actually totally flipped upside down. If you go back to the original series where the command is in yellow and the con is in yellow too. So yeah. um, I have my theories about that, why why those colors <laughs> got flipped, but I'll save that for a writing project. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so let's go through, we're going to go chapter through chapter, just like we do with the player's guide, the game master's guide and the Shackleton expanse, because we want people to know what's in here and how to use it um, and what we can reference. So, so let's start with the introduction, Jim, you called the introduction lead by example talk mm-hmm. to us about the meaning behind that sure i mean so you know just to set the context here like in all my 30 odd years of rpg star trek specifically um i have tended to end up i have tended to i have tended to end up I've, I've ended up being either the captain or the first officer more often than not um partly because um i tend to be the person in my group who has the most star trek knowledge and so it's just easier to be the command character and have that knowledge because you can just kind of spout stuff off and the rest of the players will get it and they'll trust you as the you know trusted uh, 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 expert in the field. Uh, but anyway, so um, between between playing just a ton of Star Trek and in my day job being a, a leader at my day job, like I've got all this leadership knowledge and skill in my head and it all translates super, super well to Star Trek, right? Just being a good, effective, communicative leader uh, in the mold of Kirk and Janeway and, and Picard and just like all these iconic leaders cisco that we have to watch on the tv show and i i knew like even though i was just a writer just a writer on this uh, on this book like i knew that star trek adventures was something different for an rpg right it was it was a very different field than than other rpgs because it's more of a storytelling game but i knew that um i am super passionate about encouraging everybody to have um a captain be a player, right? Like, like the, the the concept of an NPC captain just drives me crazy because there's so many great things that you can throw at a player character as as captain that gives them great opportunities for drama and and storytelling and stuff, right? Um, so anyway, I just try to like put all that in here and like, okay, if you're a player character and you're the captain, like, what do you have to like? How do you do that? And like the best way, like the best leaders lead by example, right? They they they'll delegate authority when they have to. They'll tell you what to do when they have to. But nine times out of ten, your best leaders are the ones who are going to be willing to do the dirt right there alongside you, right? They're not just going to stand in the back and tell you what to do. They're going to be right there on the front lines with you, 
getting the work done when it has to be done. And I think, you know, leading by example is just a great example of that. Uh, you know, it's not just, you know, being a Boy Scout or whatever, but it's just good leadership. And I think to a certain degree, I, I know this might be hard for a lot of players to get, but like sometimes when you're at the game table, you need to have a leader. You need to have somebody to make, who will make choices and make decisions and carry the carry the game forward, right? Like you don't want to have a bunch of people sitting there around the table in analysis paralysis, right. you know, not knowing what to do. It's like eventually someone's got to take a make a choice, whether it's the first officer or, or whoever's in command of the away team or, or something. But ultimately, the captain's the one who's going to be kind of like driving the the yeah. crew along because that's their job. Right. And the captain doesn't boss around all the time. Sometimes the job right. of the captain is to trust that they are surrounded by experts and yeah. give the, like you said, delegate the the power and the decision making to these professionals. So, OK, good. Mm-hmm. So that's the opening of of this. We know, again, um, I love always talking and reading through the insets of all of these. There's mm-hmm. letters to home. There's different characters. And a lot of these are Easter eggs. So, so if anyone wants to go and figure out, like, what's this person who wrote this letter to home? They mm-hmm. could always go Google that or memory alpha that and see that there's so many Easter eggs throughout this book. What, what I like about it, it gives a framework for the psychology behind your chosen profession or your chosen track. So yeah. these are all, always nice to have in here. Did you yeah. write all of them? <laughs> um, gosh, I wrote a big chunk of this book. I think I wrote almost all of chapter, gosh, one, chunks of two, chunks of five, most of five, I think. No, well, Nathan put had some stuff in there. I mean, that, my handprint's all over this. I, I yeah. couldn't even tell you right now. I have to go back and look at the drafts. Yeah, um, but you know what's funny is I'm flipping through it here. I haven't, I will be the first to admit, I haven't looked at this book in a while. Um, partly because a lot of it's ingrained, mm-hmm. uh, but part of it's also just because I'm busy working on new stuff. I haven't had a, a lot of opportunity to look back at the old stuff. This is interesting. Like, here's an Easter egg for you. On page five, uh, we have the um, the new captain looking at his uh, at his Nebula class command. Um, so first uh, Easter egg is that this is a, a, a Maori captain. And I really wanted, I know we talked about diversity and inclusion a few episodes back about the tricorder set. This was my first opportunity to write an art. This was the very first art brief I ever wrote for uh, Star Trek Adventures. And I was like, I absolutely want to get more diversity and inclusion in this game. I want a Maori captain, um, you know, because I figured, why not? That would totally make sense to me. And, uh, you know, so far, nobody's called me out on it or told me I'm appropriating any culture. But uh, if there's any Maori listening, if, if I if I did you wrong, if I did you dirty, please tell me, because I will apologize publicly right now and, and frequently. But I feel like what little I understand of the culture, I, I certainly am no expert, but I feel like that culture would be alive and well into the 24th century. And I am confident that there are people in that culture who would absolutely join Starfleet and go out to the to the galaxy and, and do shit, you know, stuff. And of course, they'd be a captain. Why wouldn't they, right? It's equal opportunity for everybody. So this, that was an opportunity to do that. So the second piece, though, is this personal log that's underneath it. I think this was just an, a happy accident of layout where I wrote a I wrote a um, a sidebar personal log tied to that artwork, and we managed to get it on the same page. Right. Yeah. So you can see the picture of the captain looking at his ship. And then there's a there's a there's a personal log of him talking about his first day on the on the ship. And I was like, oh, man, I, I'm just looking at it. And I was like, oh, shoot, that, that worked out really nicely. Just a, well, you just know, nice I have my, I have my dreams, too, because whenever you make put these pictures in here, these boxes, I actually yeah. try to create stories off of them. And mm-hmm. what's cool about that personal log, there's three people mentioned in it. Right. Who are actually part of the crew. And I'm yeah. like, wow, if I had three players 
the three people who wanted to play, I'd be like, okay, someone play the captain, someone play the chief engineer, someone play the XO, and yep. let's let's go on this adventure. Let's see what what how fun would that be? Yeah, that'd be amazing. I mean, it's just so cool because like you like you said, you've already got built in. Because like I'm all about character, and I know you're all about character. But like the the more I can even I mean, even just dropping in a character's name, right? That, that's a huge piece of it, right? Yeah. It, like the instant you put a name on something it becomes more real as opposed to just like, Oh, you're the nameless red shirt in the back, but now you're, you're, you know, Ensign, uh, you know, Alejandro, and now you've got, a, now you've got some history and now you've got some stuff that you can start building on. Uh, so I mean, yeah. USS Dunbar, right. With commander Tess and, and Chakul, the chief engineer. I mean, is, is that a Klingon? Is he a Klingon chief engineer? We've seen that before, actually. Well, at least a hybrid yeah. one, but yeah. So, so again, don't skip through this, you know, these pictures and these sidebars, which are put in here, they are stories. I know that even back when you had me um, write mission briefs, um, I actually use these as referrals so people can go back into the books and see the mission, see more expansiveness on this character because we're so limited by space. And I was like, I'm going to start using these sidebars because they give me a lot of information and can give players or game masters a lot of information and backstory. Uh-huh. Yeah. So cool. All right. So that's that's just the introduction at this point. Let's jump into chapter two, because there is a lot of meat in here. Okay, the first um, is a description. You know, it's simple of the command and the con department. um, But it also talks about and breaks down Starfleet command. I know why I like this, but let's hear from you why you really like and this chapter and how you would use it as a game master or player. Yeah, so I think um, especially for for folks newer to the franchise and newer to Star Trek who may not may not have been as well read on just the wealth of secondary canon that's out there. I mean, for for those of you who are very new to Star Trek, like in the in the in the early '90s, heading into the aughts, there was just there were so many nonfiction Star Trek books released, like technical manuals and encyclopedias and compendiums, and there's just all kinds of great reference material in addition to all the novels that were coming out and what a lot of those nonfiction books did was added a lot of texture and detail to things that we that we saw on screen but nobody ever really talked about right like you knew there was a judge advocate general you knew there was a starfleet command you knew that there were these organizations and stuff out there but the tv show never has time to go into a deep dive and for an rpg you need that kind of stuff like this is the stuff that players live and breathe on is like they want to know the details they want to know the fine details of like how all these things like like here's this setting right but how does it all work how does it all work for the concept of an rpg because you know that the players and the game masters are going to go into a deep dive on this stuff and you could spend an entire you know five episode run just talking about the jag right you could you could get into a whole political and i know you because you, you've been talking about it you could get into a whole legal thing back and forth and spend like you know half a season on that and like if you don't have at least some basic understanding of how it all works that you can't get from the tv show really you kind of have to fill in the blanks and so this this is ultimately this chapter is all about filling in the blanks like what is what does it mean to be in starfleet what does starfleet do what are the organizations of starfleet and uh you know fortunately the other uh, some of the earlier rpgs uh, especially last unicorn games and uh, to a lesser extent fossa uh, but especially last unicorn games did go into a lot of detail on this stuff which is great so like you know i'm standing on the shoulders of giants here because uh, uh like literally when i was writing this chapter i had like four or five of the old rpg books all kind of like scattered all around my desk and i was i had post-it notes and i was referencing back and forth because not only did i want to honor all the work that they had done but then i wanted to add you know my own spin to it you know cold from 30 years of rpging and, and just the star trek lore that i've accumulated 
and my opinion, of course, I mean, all this is opinion, right? What I, um, what I really like about yeah. it too, you know, talking about the fleet operations section that you wrote here mm-hmm. is you got to com- compare Starfleet to the Navy. And we know the Navy has different divisions and different things that it does. You mentioned about fleet operations, research and development here, um, shipyard operations, judge advocate general's office. Um, there's a library, we know an administration to Starfleet. So if you really want to open up the potential for conflict of your game, mm-hmm. your ship is going to be running an objective, not just from Starfleet command. There's usually a subdivision that's running an order from. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can come into conflict with another division. <laughs> you know, if all of a sudden Section 31 shows up while the Department of Temporal Investigation show up while you're doing a Starbase operation mission, who do you report to? You know, and that that we were talking about the legal debates in our game that creates a legal issue. Well, who has authority here right now? Who mm-hmm. who trumps who? That That's a fun way to introduce um, NPCs to be conflict that aren't necessarily shooting phasers at you, but you're trying to figure out whose orders you should follow. And so this was a good template for me. I had to think about, hmm, who's my current, who are my current people getting orders from Mm -hmm. at this point? In our case, it's we're part of fleet operations in a foreign galaxy. And Mm -hmm. so we're reporting to one admiral from a particular station and and doing exploratory stuff. So I thought this was a really, really helpful um, article here. Yeah, yeah. And just you know, talking about the different departments, um, talking about what the difference is between rank and position. I think uh, you know a lot of people who aren't you know super well read in the military or in like military fiction may not quite understand the distinction between being a captain and having a rank as a captain. Right? There's there's nuances there, and so tried to try to explain that a little bit in a sidebar. Talked about enlisted personnel, uh, and then we went down into the weeds on the Starfleet a little bit here. And you know, again, just like what we always try to do with the books is we try to drop in a lot of uh, um, you know, story seeds and plot hooks and potential and on, on every page, right? So like you could read the two paragraphs on the diplomatic core, and I'm sure a creative game master could spin that into a whole as a whole season's worth of stuff. Like you know, all of a sudden your ship is assigned to the diplomatic core. Why? Yes. I don't know, make it up. Uh, maybe they've stumbled into a new region of space and there's a whole bunch of species that they need to interact with. And all of a sudden your ship is uh, you know, voluntold to uh to be the first contact lead in that sector of space and all of a sudden you've been attached to the diplomatic corps okay we're on the diplomatic corps now it's funny that you say that because i kind of picked up that beat whenever you give me an assignment to write for something not narrative but more like rule-based or talking about the star trek universe i actually each paragraph even if it's not giving a plot seed and it's just explaining one facet of Star Trek or the game or the universe, I look at each paragraph and I ask myself, could I make a story out of this paragraph? <laughs> is there enough in here that there's some conflict that a game master could say, I'm going to take in this one paragraph and this is my plot for the show. And I found this to be true here. I literally, the torture of reading these books is I can't possibly play enough games yeah, right. <laughs> to do everything. So, yeah, so yeah. good chapter here. And then you went into fleet, um, operations into more detail. So how can I can I ask you, how would you, fleets are huge. So how do you suggest a game gaming group really gets the most out of fleet operations? It seems like there's so much to it. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess it depends on the, the focus of the game that you're playing, right? Like I can, I can easily imagine, like if you're playing like a Dominion War or even a Klingon War or something, a game where like it's, it matters what fleet you're in, that could be relevant because like you're like not just your ship, but the entire fleet could be assigned specific duties. Like maybe you're on border patrol or maybe you're on, uh, you know, deep space reconnaissance 
or maybe like um you know um oh shoot i just blanked on his name um uh, jeb stewart or uh, sheridan during the civil war right doing the doing the recon around the back of the enemy lines or something uh, that whole fleet could be responsible for doing that and that just adds texture to to the story that you're telling right because like it may not just be your ship off doing the thing but like you have to connect with the other ships in your fleet and then oh what happens if one of the like if the ship that is in the chain and you're connected to it what if you lose contact with that ship what happened to them do you go and investigate and risk breaking the rest of the chain or do you just stay on stay on position or whatever mm-hmm. like there's some there's some stuff you can play with there you could even use fleet like whatever fleet you're in that could be a trait for your starship right like yeah. maybe the, maybe the 14th fleet gets a gets whacked at uh, you know some 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 system and gets a bad reputation and then you get that trait t- tagged on your ship and so other ships in starfleet will look at you like oh they, they were in 14th fleet oh that's bad news um or maybe you know 14th fleet just kicked all kinds of gem had our ass and uh, and you show up at the star base and they're like oh they're 14th fleet there's something special you're going to get a drink spot at the bar for you guys just by association with the fleet right here's a uh, dream i, I think here's there's a lot of yeah yeah, here's a dream that I, I don't think I, I could ever coordinate, but I hope somebody out there does and tell us about it. Uh-huh. It would be cool if, say, you had five players and each player has their own ship and and they rotate through episodes of this fleet story. And each time they get together to play, you're on a different person's ship. So you're a captain mm-hmm. on one of your ships, but on the other four ships, you're in different positions. And so you kind of rotate through the captains and have some sort of huge story about how these five ships are are doing some mission or something. That, that'd be a lot of, that'd be technical, but it'd be kind of a fun way to see people play the game like that. Yeah, you know, Michael, I, I think there might be a couple of Discord groups doing something like that. I'm not sure how well connected they are and i'm not sure if there's like a big meta story tie them all together mm-hmm. but there might be a couple in there but you know if not we should talk to al sometime about this because i know al has done convention or has ideas for convention experiences where like multiple tables are playing different games but they're all connected somehow al spader yeah. i think that would be really cool to see how that could come together because like you know the, there's there's just so much there's so much potential for that, yeah. right? Especially with virtual gaming now, you could have like if we were really smart and not not smart, but but like really creative, and we could figure out a way to like write a mini campaign where you could have like you know twenty different ships, twenty different groups doing their thing, but they were all connected to a bigger story, and somehow figure out how to coordinate all that. Um, I'm, I'm, sending, I'm gonna send you a yeah. picture about that actually because <laughs> okay. uh, i actually have been thinking a lot yeah. about the mechanics on that we'll mm-hmm. we'll get to that another time yeah. but uh <laughs> I, I won't talk about it here so i don't spoil it yeah okay. that's, that's cool um, yeah I mean, but this i mean even just riffing off this like looking at this one chapter about fleet operations i mean that's that's that was the point of this chapter is like to throw all these ideas in here and to get game masters and players thinking like oh what can i do with that how can i how can i fold in fleet operations into my game how can i have an episode start with some random admiral either showing up on the ship or sending a communique to the captain saying, okay, you've now been assigned to my fleet operations XYZ. You are now commanded to do this, this, and this. And you know what happens if that's in the middle of the season and the players have already invested in some other thing, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, wait, we've got this pet project and now you're telling us we have to go over here. Oh, darn it, now there's that little bit of tension, right? And it's like, how does that- You know that, what we're gonna do? You know, we're, do, we're doing this. We're not going to do it this show, but we're going to do it in an upcoming show where I'm going to grab me, you, maybe two others, Al or Aaron. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to do is we're going to each give be given 15 minutes, you know, and it'll be banter. But 
any one of us can pick a random paragraph from one of these books and we have to do a session zero in 15 minutes about what it is. That's going to be a oh my fun gosh. RPG challenge. Okay. That would be super cool. And, I, and you, I know we're riffing, but it, it would be really neat if we could grab one or two people off the, the Facebook group or one of the social channels, just so, somebody new, just to random. get a new totally. set of perspectives in here. Yeah. In fact, what we That'd should do neat. is me and you, and then two new fans, two fans. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be I think cool. that's a good Let's idea. We're about fan service, a continuing conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and the point is, is really to let people, I want people to get loose and just understand, yes, and yeah. take a paragraph. And I'm telling you, I could take any one of these paragraphs or any one of these inset boxes and do a story. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to start having to prove it to them maybe once a month on the show. Right, so. I'm, I'm 100% for that. Let's do it. Okay, cool. All right. So now let's move on to the judiciary, which you said, as you said, is one of my favorite Um, things is federation law. I have issues with federation law. I have issues with the prime directive. I have issues with general order one. And so that's probably one of the reasons my game centers around a lot of legal issues. I appreciate this. This chapter made a difference for me early on because I needed to get an understanding of what the legal procedure is when an accusation is made against an officer. It's not like you go to court and get arrested. There is procedures and protections in place. You have representation. Um, So I really love this chapter. And like I said, even though this is only three pages of action, it created many episodes of game for me. So what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, that was the that was the whole point. I mean, for when I and now and now that I'm looking at it again, I'm remembering all this stuff. Uh, This was um, like I I pulled concepts of this from some of the other RPG books. But, you know, I also took it upon myself to do a deep dive into the U.S. Navy's uh, uh, Judge Advocate General Court. Like I went to their website and I started studying all the stuff that's on there. There's just a I mean, it's the Internet, right? There's a wealth of material on the Internet. And I could have I could have written an entire book on Starfleet JAG, right? I mean, I could have. But I was just like, no, no one's going to need that much detail for their game. Or if they do, they should do the research themselves. Uh, so I tried to hit the highest, like the 20,000 foot high level overview of like what what's important enough to put into a game. Like I understood that filter, right? It's like as a game master and as a player, how much do I need and how much is enough, right? Because uh, like, you know, certainly you could spend hours diving into legal procedures and crew discipline and all this stuff. Uh, so I just tried to hit the high points. And, uh, you know, again, just like everything else, we, we've seen plenty of court martial episodes on Star Trek. Uh, they, they, they do boards of inquiry all the time. They always like to pit the um, two of the main characters against each other as prosecutor and defense. Um, I mean, this, these are just classic. I mean, Next Gen uh, original series had a few. Um, it pops up pretty frequently. And frequently enough that, you know, it was, it was important to pay something more than just lip service to it, right? And I thought three to four pages would be enough. And, uh, you know, got it in there. And hopefully there's enough in here that, um, you know, players enjoy it. Although I have to admit that I'm <laughs> I'm a little dismayed. Uh, I, maybe dismayed is too strong of a word, but like I read enough of the social media about this game that some of the, some of the groups out there like seem to get into court martials an awful lot. And I wonder <laughs> if it's because the players aren't that familiar with Star Trek. And so they go off on this bend and then the game master's like, oh, well, you can't do that. That's not Star, you can't do that in Star Trek. So we're, next episode, we're doing a court martial, another court martial. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe maybe a session zero might've set those expectations and parameters a little bit. So I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. just me in here, but- Well, uh, I think that's, what, no, I mean, to that yeah. point, I think people should do a lot of study up on the prime directive and right. understanding what leeway captains are given when they're work operating 
on the fringes of the Federation. I mean, uh, the legal you point out here is failure to obey an order, insubordinate conduct, mutiny, and sedition. But in all of those cases, if there's a pretty good reason that like saves the galaxy or a planet, you can get away with some of that. So you have to use that balance of reason. And we see it in every show. And if you're not sure how it works, just watch every Kirk movie ever where he's breaking every rule, but still coming out on top. Right. Um, He's the, right. he's the king of evading court. <laughs> but but that that being said, though, uh, one of the other things I wanted to make sure that was kind of inferred by this chapter is that um, uh, player actions have consequences, right? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, Kirk certainly did some heinous things and he got busted down to captain, although it was kind of a it was kind of a wink and a nod. It's like, oh, we're going to we're going to take your admiralty away, but wink, wink, we're going to give you, we're going to bust you to captain, but oh, that means you're going to get a ship and you're going to go back off exploring the universe just like you wanted to do in the first place. Right, which you wanted in the motion picture in the first place, right? Yeah, but but he was punished in a a broad spectrum of punishment. And uh, I think this was just kind of a way to show that Star Trek is a little bit different as an RPG in that that the choices your characters make do have consequences, right? You may not notice it right away in the episode, but if the game master and the players are smart and they're willing to go along with it, they could say, oh, you know, Starfleet was reviewing the records from that last episode where you really, uh, you know, made some interesting choices and they're going to issue a board of inquiry and have have a conversation. And this is a way for the game master and the players to kind of talk through what happened yeah. and, uh, and, and see if they can level set a little bit, maybe. Yeah, um, I, I play it always that if at all possible, Starfleet is helping, trying to get you out of trouble unless there's yeah. greater political reasons going on or mm-hmm. some evil person who's trying to, you know, have it out for the captain. But generally, they're trying to give you a reason and an out. Mm-hmm. Um, get, that goes, it bleeds right perfectly into the prime directive, which we know is usually the, the issue that's being brought up in JAG is some violation of this in some form, if it's not, you know, an, an, if it's not a conduct issue. Um, so a lot of details in here. We know if you go on the web, there's so much about prime directives. How did you end up truncating this to the meat and morsel? I mean, just <laughs> effective writing and editing, I guess. I mean, it's nothing fancy. It, it was just uh, trying to absorb as much information as I could about what has been written about the prime directive already. And then, um, I mean, I don't know how you work, but like when I'm doing a deep dive on a research project like this, I'll just open up a Word document and I'll cut and paste literally everything I can find about it. And exactly. then from the top down, I'll just start um, reviewing it. And then I'll start back at the top and I'll just start writing my own um, you know, version of, of what I think is happening. And I'll just delete stuff and revise stuff and, and dump it all out eventually. But um, I, I like to have all that research in one place that I can look at it. And so it was just, you know, pulling from dozens of resources that have been written, not not just, you know, in canon, but also just like different essays that people have written about the prime directive, just so I can get a broad perspective of like what this thing is. And then just trying to drill it down and uh, and get it to a point where like a bunch of role players can can get it, mm-hmm. can under, kind of understand it, and then just and then just run with it. Like, like there's there's no canon truth about what the prime directive is because you know it's been 55 years. Every single person who comes to it is going to interpret it differently. I mean, we see that on the TV show, right? right. Picard and Janeway and Kirk interprets and Cisco interpret the Prime Directive very differently, and that creates drama and it creates interesting stories. And so, I wanted to give enough information here to say, you know, here's probably what the Prime Directive means, and here's why it should matter to your character, and uh, here's the consequences if you break it, and here's what you should try to be thinking about when you're getting into these situations, just to get players and game masters to think, like. How would I approach this situation? Like, you know, you know, Jane Average, who doesn't know anything about Star Trek, but you've been put into the position of playing the Star Trek game. 
and oh, prime directive situation comes up. What do you need to know? Here's four pages. You know, right. skim these four pages, get the feel for it, and then just make it happen in game. But uh, yeah, I just really just tried to. I I know I'm rambling, but no, I <laughs> tried, actually, to, tried to synthesize you know 50 years worth of Star Trek lore down into a couple of pages just to make it make sense. No, I really actually liked what you just said because I never even thought of doing that before with a yeah. new set of players. Like I, I if I asked my nieces and nephews what the prime directive is i don't think they could know so it, before our next game i think this would be a great thing for them to read and then create a story use a story that attacks the prime directive and to my point again you could take one paragraph out of here to create the scenario mm -hmm. you give them these four pages of material on but we could say pretend this is the law book on it now argue it yeah. so i think this would be a really good chapter for that i love my books are starting to get worn out so i'm glad i have <laughs> Um, this takes us to um, the Command Division, Chapter 2.6, and Starfleet Academy, all right? Um, this is something that there's been books written about, um, about Starfleet Academy, but the purpose of this chapter is to talk about what the cadets experience as command cadets and con um, cadets. Con, of course, being the people who fly the ships, but it's not just restricted to the people who fly the ships. So before, I know we're going to get into it a little bit later, but con means what in Star Trek to you, Jim? Uh, con are the, are the, I mean, next gen era, they're, they're the ones flying the ship. They're sitting in the front of the bridge, um, usually either being responsible for uh, astro-navigation, astrometrics, um, uh, you know, actually literally flying the vehicle, whether it's a shuttlecraft or a, or a capital ship. Um, yeah, I want to... You put in here that beyond that, though, they could, a con officer may never even fly a ship, but they may be experts in stellar cartography, astronomy, astronavigation. Yep. And I want to take it now, especially with Discovery out on TV right now, is it's no longer flying a ship from point A to point B. It could be navigating the mind in some cases. It could mm. be, to me, navigating other dimensions and quantum realms and mapping yeah. this mycelial network. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a brilliant way to play the game because I would love to see a strong con a con character who never actually flies a ship. Oh, that would be cool. Wouldn't yeah. that be cool? Almost, right? almost like, um, almost like a, a navigator from Dune, right? Like, yeah. like, like they're just they just exist to 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 navigate space in different ways than. Uh, Exactly. Um, I go back to your unorthodox mathematics <laughs> focus. You know, that they think in a different way and they're able uh -huh. to navigate through subspace. It's like, so they're not going to fly the ship, but they're going to get down and give you that theory and these algorithms and hand that over to the con department. That would be, I, I see actually Paul Stamets as a con character, kind of. I know he's an engineer mm -hmm. on Discovery, but as I was reading through con recently, I was like, wow, he's actually more con. He's navigating. Mm hmm. And I thought that was kind of cool, um, that that idea that's put in here. So again, reach out. Don't get so bored and restrict yourself that I don't feel like flying a ship, and so therefore I'm not con. Read through this explanation. Yeah, yeah. And this bit on, on cadets was also a way to uh, kind of um, encourage people to play young officers, like play ensigns, play cadets. Don't don't just play the the security chief or the you know the chief engineer or whatever. Be willing to play some of the younger officers. And if you are playing a younger officer, here's some things to think about. You're fresh out of the academy, or you're just about to graduate from the academy. You are probably, you know, fresh and full of eager and optimism. And here's things you're thinking about if you're in command or if you're in con, just to help with the role playing, right? Just to help with the yeah. character development stuff. And our wow. and these cadets are not our normal college students. I want to point out that to get into Starfleet out of the billions of citizens in the Federation, to actually get into Starfleet, you're like 
1% of 1% of the population. So you probably had some sort of skill, some high science, some, some great business acumen, some great command natural leadership skills. Uh, you're the quickest person on your planet, the most agile. So that got you into Starfleet. So as a cadet, you may have a specialty that that particular ship out of the thousands, tens of thousands of ships out there, they may need your specialty. And they need the best of the best. And yeah, you're a cadet and you haven't passed your courses, but they actually need you to help with their mycelial astro migration project. Um, so again, um, me and Jim could coach all day about how to make characters relevant and <laughs> including cadets. Yeah. Okay, cool. Wow. Okay, we're still in chapter two. And now we're talking about starship operations and command officers. What was the purpose um, and your love for this, this chapter? Um, yeah, the, the, again, this is another one of those chapters where just trying to get down into the weeds a little bit about how how does a how does a starship operate, right? Like, I mean, this is like when you're on a starship, you're I mean, this is literally your home in the stars, right? And and all the crew is on this thing, and you're out there in the galaxy doing stuff. And because you know Starfleet is a is a is a uniformed or a uniformed service, it's not a military. And I'm, I'm going to plant my flag on that and say it's not a military. And I know people will be really cranky about that, but whatever. <laughs> um, so, you know, this organization has rules and general orders and a hierarchy and it is a entity unto itself. And it's, it's worthwhile for players, especially new players who are new to Star Trek and may not understand the, the, the service nuances. This was just kind of a way to kind of like get, get a sense of like, how does a starship operate? And, um, I liked the parts of that I really liked that that um, I had to remember that are here. So I ended up putting a bookmark on it, both a post note and a bookmark was ship diagnostics, which mm -hmm. what's the difference between a level one, two, three, four, five, and how much time could they take? Because that makes a really good part of the plot. If I need to slow the pacing on my group, I'm like, oh, sorry, impulse assembly leads a level two diagnostic. That's going to take mm -hmm. a, a couple of hours. And that could get me to fix them in a place so that I can move my plot along. And so I'll spin threat to say, you need to complete a level two diagnostic. Mm -hmm. um, and this gives me the, and they're like, well, what's that? I can cut pace and let them know what that looks like. Um, and I also like the duty watches. Um, mm -hmm. I think what's funny is we always assume on a ship that there's a 24 hour day. But I was thinking to myself, like, well, for Denobulans who like hardly ever sleep, if they had, a, if it was a ship of Denobulans, why are they going to follow a 24 hour day? And on their planet, they may have, you know, every 72 hours is the rotation of their planet. So I really encourage players to put a human on a ship with a 72 hour day. And what does their job look like? <laughs> Again, uh -huh. really making it as alien as possible and get people to break free of the constraints of how we do things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, great, great, great points, Michael. And I, you know, I'll just add again, it, you know, if the listeners haven't figured this out yet, right? I am all about the role playing. Like, I'm all about character. I'm all about role playing as a player, as a game master. That's what I really focus on. And when I'm playing a character, like, I want to know this stuff. I want to have this stuff so ingrained in my head that when I create a, a like, I'll create a schedule, like, a, like a daily schedule, just like the one here on page uh, uh, thirty, whatever. Um, I'll create a schedule just so in my head I'll know what my character is generally doing at different points of the day. So if the game master says, oh, it's 1400 hours, you know, opening, opening scene is 1400 hours. Uh, you know, uh, commander, you're off. What are you, what are you, what are you up to? You, oh, start a scene. Give me, give me a scene. And if I have that, you know, schedule in my head or in front of me, I can say, oh, 1400s, you know, uh, commander Delcourt is usually, uh, 
finishing up his uh, his duty watch and he's about to go have lunch with uh you know, a friend or something. And, and I can say, you know, and we're walking into 10 forward and the scene starts right there and we can have a scene right away. I uh, just jumping, just because I know as, as a player, I've put a, a very minimal amount of effort into like figuring out what my day is. I understand the duty watches because the captain, the player captain has decided that we're going to be on, you know, a four duty shift instead of three duty shift. Uh, maybe the captain has established his uh, standing orders or her standing orders. Um, and so just like in the, in the microcosm of our game, Right. So it's a Starfleet game. It's a Star Trek game. But our captain has created some standing orders. I've got I've got my duty watch. Um, you know, I know my schedule and that just adds texture to the role playing. Right. It's just yeah. it's not just pulling stuff out of your head and making it up. It's like, oh, I've got a little bit of structure here that I can build stuff on. My um, entire crew has their duty roster. It's they, yeah. they have their scheduled day. Mm-hmm. And then I can always in Discord, you can hashtag and send them to the schedule. So I'm like, I need to know where your character's at. And then as a reminder, it's like, let me know. And that's kind yeah. of really, you know, a fun way to do it. We have one character that only seems like two hours. So <laughs> <laughs> they, they get way more done. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. And then we go on and this chapter um, concludes talking about the different ex- uh, senior staff on board mm-hmm. a ship. Um, I find this extremely helpful because, you know, we see for the first time, well, no, the first and the second officer did did Kirk have a second officer? Yeah, that was Scotty. Scotty was the second officer, right? Uh, I, I don't remember if it was really like actually yeah. stated that he was the second officer, but I think it, it, I think Scotty ended up being the next in command more often than anyone else. I think Sulu may have been Sulu in command a couple of times, but I think Scotty was probably the second officer, just yeah. based on what I because he was in he was on the bridge often enough that he was probably the the number two after uh, after Spock. Yeah, it was really um, clarified in TNG, yeah. of course, with Riker, and then right after that, Data, right, the second officer, right, yeah. and then on a Klingon ship, of course, then you can have a, a second and third officer too, or whoever mm-hmm. murders you next is the next <laughs> in line. So, right, right. so chain of command was really good on this. I have to remark yeah. on the artwork too, um, with the Tellarite and the Vulcan. Um, beautiful artwork on that. Mm-hmm. Love the Elkars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. And, and I love the fact that the the Tellarite, even though um, they have a very unique facial feature, like you can tell this guy's worried, or this lady, <laughs> the, the, whoever this Tellarite is, they, they look a little worried. And that Vulcan is just like clearly judging them, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, boy, that probably person's probably in for a bad day, I guess. Well, to um, me, a scared Tellarite makes me scared, and a skinny Tellarite makes me even scarier. And this guy is pretty skinny, <laughs> he has no pot belly. So, yeah, yeah, so I think what's happening is been hit by some sort of beam that's aging him and emaciating him at a rapid rate. <laughs> and, um, that's the story of this episode. Funny, funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, again, this chapter, it, it's all about um, providing more texture, more detail for your character. And, and you know, even I, I was starting to um, go down into the weeds here a little bit on mentoring, because I think a good leader is also a mentor. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that's a lot to put on a player of playing a, a XO or a captain. But I mean, honestly, that's if you really get into it, if you really get into the Star Trek role playing and you really get into this game that's where you could go. Like if you are just that personality who like sees potential in other people and wants to bring the, their best out and you can like, you can help them, you can mentor them and help them out. You're going to be a great candidate for a command position, whether you're a department head or a captain or an XO. And like, I know this kind of 
this is this is getting a little little into the weeds, but uh, no, I actually like there's just it. so many practical life skills that you can learn from playing yeah. Star Trek. And I was going to that's what I tried to try to get into this chapter was that there's just so much you can do with it beyond just you know throwing some dice and and having drinks and snacks with friends, which is you know perfectly great, but there's so much more that you can do with it here. Well, watch, watch it. I always like putting my dreams out into the universe because you never know who's going to hear them, right? And so mm-hmm. imagine using, if Star Trek Adventures was used at a leadership conference where people come to the conference to play for two days just to pick up leadership skills and, and people are running these games and these professionals, yep. you know, it's a, that's a great format because people tend to let their guard down when you play with them. That's the point of gamification, right? Um, but then just from that, I'm going to do my paragraph exercise with you real quick to show how this chapter could become its own episode. If you go on page, um, uh, hold on, let me shrink the page so I can see the page number on it. Oh, it's on the other page. That's why. So I'm on page uh, 33 right now, the picture where the Tellarite is and the paragraph at the very last paragraph, picture this episode where an admiral comes in and says, Starfleet has an ongoing need for shrewd and talented flag level officers. Every admiral has worked their way up through the ranks over decades of service and every new Starbase extended frontier or a new subdivision of Starfleet Command needs admirals. Captain, you know, we're going to need you to train and show us what your training program looks like. Create a scenario in the holodeck. Or, or we're going to need to take your commander and give them command of the ship and you swap roles for this, for this game. So it could happen in any module and say, the admiral comes in and say, I need you to swap roles as a training tool. And, and it says existing admirals take extended leave or eventually retire and their posts must be filled with experience and qualified senior officers. Now I'm going to make it seem and start a rumor that maybe this admiral is retiring and they're t- thinking about taking the captain off the ship. And it's just a rumor. It may not even be true. But so now the captain is going to have to, am I being replaced? Right. And so one paragraph can make an exciting episode and you have the Packlids attack or whatever as just frill, you know, uh, as, as science fiction thrill. Isn't that a fun game? play that yeah that sounds great that <laughs> sounds great and I, I just i love everything you're saying and uh, in fact i love your idea of a um a leadership seminar you know it, mm-hmm. you know pipe dreams you know are pipe dreams but like you you just said you know vocalize your dreams and who knows who's listening but wouldn't it be amazingly fun to do like some sort of in-person or virtual seminar about like star trek leadership and like everybody's single you know like sometimes you have a book that you're supposed to read ahead and you know bring with you bring this right yeah. bring the, get, get the go get the command division source book read that and then come to the seminar and then we'll yeah. talk about it and, and how you can be a better captain or a more effective player or what i mean what i, I mean it's just mm-hmm. just riffing here but man that would be that would be fun like even now 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 we're going off 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 the off the kilter here like for my day job and like i bet your day job too like we could we could do leadership training yeah. And and just give them something different and say, here's your manual. Right. And they're like, Star Trek, what the heck is this? <laughs> it's like, and we have the stuff in here that you can read that will be valuable to you. You're a leader of your team. Read right. this chapter, read this, read that, read that um, paragraph you just wrote. It's like, like, what's your succession planning? How are you mentoring your your staff to take your like say, say, say the president of the company says, I want you to train somebody to take your job in two years. How would you do it? Right. Would you do it? What would, why wouldn't you do it? Right. And the pre-homework is the pre-homework would be, you know, a select chapter of this book, a character sheet, because 
I can't tell you how many times at executive leaderships, we do role-playing anyways, and you play somebody else, whether you're firing somebody, hiring someone, coaching somebody, Mm -hmm. we're role-playing already, but you give the chance for people to to play. I I can go on all day about gamification because that's how I run all my (laughs) classes. Um, And people walk away saying this was the best experience ever, but then they learned something. And I think since the rules are already built into Star Trek too, about safe space, diversity, inclusion, Mm -hmm. you got a win-win here. So maybe Jim, it'll happen. We put it out here. If you need to hire me and Jim for leadership classes, (laughs) we'll, 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 we'll we'll have fun. We'll, we'll make sure to have one person per table as a, as an assistant to us so they could help run the game. Yeah. Yeah. We we have read ahead material. And we have, but we can, I'm sure we could come up with a short list of episodes to watch for, uh, for, um, for preparation. <laughs> oh yeah. That pre, that pre-work would be really good. Yeah. Oh, it'd be so painful. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I'll All tell right. you what, man, we, we are, we are what almost an hour in and we're only on page 34, man. There is so much stuff packed into this book. So let's keep going. Let's keep going. People have been begging for longer episodes. So yeah. now we're, we're, we're giving it to you. Okay. So now we're going to move into <laughs> command division characters um and the chapter this chapter is broken up into two sections which is command school so we're going to talk about that and also piloting through the stars so this would be the con con piece so go ahead and talk to us about these command division characters jim yeah so this is uh, this chapter was pretty much written uh entirely by nathan uh, nathan dowdell and this was really his opportunity to do um a brain dump because he has he has a lot of star trek lore in his brain, brain just like all of us um, and, and this was his opportunity to like disseminate all that stuff that he's learned over the years and, and put it into a, into this perspective. Um, it's like, here's the overview, here's the discussion about admirals and captains and stuff. And then to start getting into, uh, different roles that you can play, like admirals, admirals, adjutants, getting into like the admiralty level campaigns and talking about the different roles, talking about squadrons, and then, and then getting into more detail, like m- more into the mechanical details of like, what does it mean to be. A, a character with a command score of one or two or four like what does that mean like it's not just a number on a page it actually there's meaning behind it you know you don't have you don't just have a strength of 12 like there's actually something quantifiable about having a command score of two versus a three versus a four and so he really went into more detail on trying to explain that um he talked about how how it relates to the different other disciplines um uh, i really appreciate that by the yeah. way too because one of the characters that i've had the privilege of, of doing data files for is Sylvia Tilly in the Discover Pack. Mm-hmm. And I really use that to say, oh, wow, I've watched her grow in the show. And so every season she gets a bump in the command point. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that, I'm like, yeah, she definitely showed these different things. So so if if through role play, your character starts exhibiting more of those skills, mm-hmm. that's a justification for a player to go ahead and grow their character with, yeah. with point adjustments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the things I appreciate that Nathan did in here is that he uh, he tried to explain like um you know what what kind of characters have high command and high con or high command and high medicine like what are what are real concrete examples that you can pull from canon and say you know if you have a concept in your head i want to play a character with a high high command high engineering like who who's my model and then he so he pulled out an example and he put that in here and so i we we tried to make sure that there was a really clear example for each one so that as you're thinking about your character concept, um, you can be like, oh, I want to be kind of like Cisco. And Cisco had a really high command and he was also an engineer. So mm-hmm. how does that fit? And then you can just kind of like, you know, play with it and go from there. So I appreciate that. The other thing I appreciate is that he, he wrote this whole sidebar on, uh, what are we, 41, page 41, and going into a little bit more detail on the life path 
and like how to specifically go through the life path focused on being a command character or a con character. Like we'll get to the con characters in a few minutes, but just like, you know, hopefully players at that session zero will be talking about Star Trek and they'll be talking about like, what department do I want to play? Do I want to be an operations officer? Do I want to be security, tactical, con, science? You know, like if you're at least thinking about those concepts in your head, as you're working on building the character with the rest of the group, then these division books are really kind of like designed to help help you focus um, yeah. a little bit and give you more ideas. Yeah, before we leave the 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 command talk about command, I have to give a shout out to the artwork again. I'm showing it right now, okay. and I I'm just loving <laughs> to see Frozen. I'm guessing she has to be a security officer. Um, classic TOS. If if that's not Tillacall design, I don't know what that is. A shout out to maybe Shackleton Expanse. I'm guessing, <laughs> you know. But but again, another story. I want my people to get plopped back in time and have to save these people. I mean, what what a what fantastic artwork in here, Jim. Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not in a, not an erosion though. Um, erosions are the ones with the white the white long white hair. Oh, you're right. Sorry. Uh, an Edosian. Edosian? Edosian, yeah, from, uh, from Edosian. The, animated, the animated series. That's right. Sorry, Edosian, yeah. correct. Yeah. I, I love those characters. Cool. And so um, another thing before we go on to um, talking about Khan, I love under the characters on page 38, it gives it a military name description to admirals, adjutants, strategic operation officers, intelligent officers, fleet liaison officers, diplomatic attaches. And what I like about that, Jim, is Maybe you can't play that character right now because maybe, you know, you're on the ship as an XO, but mm -hmm. maybe your last assignment was a diplomatic attache. To what people? To what government? Oh, and now this current mission, all of a sudden, a, burn, a bridge you burned is here. Maybe you messed up your as a diplomat and now you're an XO on a ship or a security officer. So I love when people are career pathing and kind of building up their background if you're interested by intelligent officer or fleet liaison officer, then make that part of your past if you can't play it now. A game master like myself, oh, believe me, you're going to relive that job at some point. Mm -hmm. um, so I really enjoyed the explanations about those roles. Cool. All right. So then um, we go, uh, you talked about the command and play and then con and play with all of these great examples and the life path. Another thing that, of course, is my favorite thing, Jim, is command focuses. Um, I love focuses and talents. And so there's a whole slew of ones that were not in the original core rule book here, yeah. um, which I appreciated. Anything else about this chapter? Yeah, well, you know, the focus is like, uh, you know, there is no prescribed, you know, self-contained list. We just try to throw more ideas at you because yeah. uh, like focuses are meant to be really flexible. And uh, but even 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 in 2017, 2018, we knew that people were stumbling over that they because they wanted the skill list, right? They wanted the skill list from other RPGs that would have give you the full detailed skill list. And I'm like, no, these aren't skills. These are just whatever you're interested in, whatever you're focused on, whatever you're good at, make it up. And uh, uh, I guess just at, at that point in time, there was that learning curve that people were struggling to get over and and couldn't quite break that break loose into that creativity where they could just come up, come up with focuses. Right. So we try to give them a little bit more guidance um, about what could be a focus and, you know, hopefully it helped, but I, I, you know, I don't know, hopefully. <laughs> For we'll us, see. it did. I know, I yeah. know the minute these books came out, I, because I wanted to be a cool game master, I let 
my players take a look at it and say, hey, you know, if you want to switch stuff up at this point and get some new focuses and new talents that are a little bit outside the rule book, mm-hmm. need ideas, go ahead and do it now. And we went ahead and allowed them to do the switching on that. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So again, all good details. And then um, chapter four has to be an Aaron Paulier special. I'm cool, I'm sure because that's about Federation vessels. Um, we had already mm-hmm. included you had in, already included in the core rulebook vessels. So what's so different about these? Well, we had what uh, eight or nine. Sp- sp- we had eight. Well, you know, we we had a long list of space frames going into the core book development, and we knew that we had to cut it down because we just couldn't fill the core book with, with space frames. It would have been too long. Uh, so we knew we had to be strategic about which ones we were going to go with. And I think we talked, we, we went through the list and we picked the best eight, like the most recognizable eight or nine. I don't, I don't remember how many are in the core book. I'd have to go look at the end. Um, but we were like, okay, so if you're a casual fan or deep, deeply experienced fan, here's the most important key, you know, space frames that we should put in the core books so that everybody can enjoy them. Um, and then everything else that we didn't fit into the core book, plus a few more that we commissioned um, Aaron to to write, we put it in here because we knew this was we knew this was going to be like really the next supplement out after um, after the beta book and after uh, uh, these are the voyages. This was going to be the next one, and we really wanted to get as many space frames into players' hands as possible because we knew like we we knew that the core book missed, and, and not negatively, but like we just didn't have the room to put everything in. Uh, so this was just an opportunity to add more space frames. So, you know, we got the Daedalus in there. We got the NX in there, uh, the the Connie refit, um, a couple other ones, the Oberth. Uh, I, I would love cool. to see somebody play a campaign on an Oberth class. I, I know. Want. We've talked about that. It's yeah. coming. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so what, awesome. um, I also like that they expanded on um, the shuttles significantly. I yeah. was really happy to feature the work be in one of my campaigns because of this mm-hmm. and in the most hilarious fashion too, which was wonderful. So it was, I can't believe my players so excited to run a, run a work be and, and they only could fit one inside the compartment, but they had to do a spacewalk in a very, in a shrapnel laden area. So mm-hmm. one had to get on the back of it and basically ride it like a shopping cart <laughs> to get the work done. And they loved it the nice. whole time. Um, I have to say, uh, you know, Utopia, Planitia, that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but this was definitely the prelim to a lot of good ships, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we, we, I just tried, I tried to pack as much as I could in here, given the space limitations I had. Um, I was really happy to get the Luna in there because I'm really fond of uh, uh, Sean Torngo's uh, design work on the Luna. Um, and there's just been a great fan community built up around it. So I was like, yeah, we're definitely putting it in there. Uh, the artwork that we commissioned for it was great. I was really happy with that. Of course, got the Sovereign in here because, of course, the Enterprise E is a beautiful vessel. And um, um, just threw a couple more in there. So, yeah, especially because the first a lot of the first contact ships are uh, are in here because uh, they were like, I, I hate to sound insulting, like kind of second tier ships. Because they weren't they weren't like the focus ship of a of a TV series, but they were still prominent in the movies and stuff. So made, made sure to get some love in here for them. Um, I think my one regret uh, about about the command book is that there just aren't that many canonical original series era ships, like original series and movie era. Like other than the Constitution and the Reliant or the Miranda class, that you don't really see much else on screen until you get to like the Ambassador and the Oberth and stuff. And um, like I know some of the like FASA had a whole lot of ships, but none of them are canon and we don't really have access to them. And it was just unfortunate that we couldn't put more into that 
in here. Uh, so I know like the, I, I know the, some of the original series fans are a little um, bereft of good op options, but I think the, uh, the discovery book, um, if you're willing to, some fans, if they're willing to kind of like let go of their hate of discovery, um, if they can embrace those new space frames that we have available, I think you can do some really cool stuff in the original series era with those different space frames and uh, and do some cool stuff. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I noticed people really can get into space frames when they can visualize them strongly too, yeah. which is why the pictures, pic the explanation alone doesn't do it. A picture has to yeah. be there. Yeah, and and that that is a that was a a pet peeve of mine is that, and, and I think I, I didn't really appreciate that until this book, because I, I really kind of like, I, I, a lot of my RPG developmental ropes were learned on the command book. And, and this is where I had like developing the outline and working on the book with Aaron uh, on this chapter with Aaron. Like I had high hopes of like, well, we're gonna put all these space frames in here and all these shuttlecraft and all this stuff. And each, each one's gonna be, have a piece of art and this is gonna be awesome. And then the cold, hard reality of producing a book, you know, slapped me in the face and said, oh, wait, we only have so much art budget. We only have so much page real estate. And it's like, oh, you mean we can't we can't put an illustration in of every single every single ship? I was like, yeah, nope, I have to say that. Can't do it. It. And I was it like, oh, man, the fans are going to the fans are going to hate that because they like you know, casual fans not going to know what a Sydney class ship looks like. They're not going to. It's not going to occur to them to go to the internet and go look for one, and so that was a missed opportunity. That uh, you know, it, it is what it is, but that's just the reality of producing one of these books. Is you've got to balance um, so much stuff. Yeah. Well, again, I, I can still say though, it, what is the value of it is the narration about the overview and the capabilities is yeah. totally cut and pasteable. Meaning that you want to sound good, you want to you want to talk about why you selected this craft, or yeah. as in our game, we play with Discord, or if you're playing around the table. Mm -hmm. and you want to set the scene you could read through the capabilities of this craft just to start painting a picture of what it is and then on the internet you can always google what it looks like so that's that's possible yeah all right yeah. so then we oh go ahead i, I was just gonna, i was gonna I, I want to give a shout out to aaron because I, I i'm not sure we mentioned him often enough but we should right. <laughs> he, he he puts so much detail into these overview and capabilities chapters like i he 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 is so he puts so much detail in here. Like sometimes the detail is too much, and I have to edit some of it out because he really gets in. Like I mean, this is his passion, and he yeah. really gets into the weeds, and which I love. Like I love this kind of detail, but for for the practical purposes of a book, sometimes it's too much. Um, but like like you what you were saying before, where you could just grab a chapter or grab a paragraph and run a whole you know story off of that. Like all these all these um, capabilities and overview paragraphs. Like I read those. And like, as I'm reading it and as I'm editing it, I have to catch myself because I'll start spinning off my story. The stories will start spinning off in my head about, oh, I could I could run a campaign on this kind of a shift. And what would it do to go blah, 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 and it would do all this cool stuff? And it's like, oh, wait a minute, I have to edit this. I have to edit this. Well, that's exactly um, why I yeah. liked it is because it, it's just unbelievable to me that he can come up with so much variety yeah. endlessly and not cross over each other i don't know how the how the man does it personally mm -hmm. yeah so. it's great it, it's, just, it's just fun stuff it's 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 getting into the weeds and the greebles a little bit of, of starship design which is fun because i appreciate it and what, what i do appreciate about star trek adventures um, as a game system and the way we've decided to present ships is that it, it goes into the weeds but only up to a point mm -hmm. uh, whereas like if you look at some of the older um rpgs <laughs> Like there were so many statistics and so many points and so many rules. It's just like, oh, it was just such a, it was yeah. painful to look at it. And, and uh, 
it was hard to get any story out of it because it's just like raw numbers on a on a page, right? And like we're not we we're not building a tactical simulator here, you know. It's it's just not that <laughs> kind of game. Um, but we are doing a storytelling, you know, drama heavy RPG. And and this is like exactly the right kind of level that you need for that. It's like the overviews and the capabilities. What can my ship do? What could it do? And and like how can I manipulate that in a game situation and exactly. make it cool and, and cool and exciting? Yeah, I see. You know, just one last thing on it. Say, for instance, you know, you have a con officer who's meeting an alien con officer who's not familiar with the Federation. You could say, hey, I want you to open up your scene where you're talking to this other con officer about your ship. Maybe you're showing it off. You guys are talking about capabilities and you just hand them this. And the next thing you know, you know, they're saying, oh, well, this fighter was never assumed to operate on its own. The designers removed many of the original courier designs warp coils to provide extra internal space. Boom. Imagine <laughs> that as an opening scene. Yeah. And we do that, and, you know, these cut and pastes and it just sets the whole scene going off at that point. So please game masters, players use this language to really paint the picture of what's going on in your yep. games. Um, for for um, chapter five, Jim, I wanna talk about this and this will kind of apply to the other two chapters too. Actually, you know what we're gonna do? I want an overview on this one for the sake of time. And what we'll do is in another, um, when we talk about the security um, operations division or science division, we'll do a little bit deeper dive on here, but talk to us about how game masters should be using, could be using the command department storylines, the con department storylines, why you put them in the book. I use them a lot. So that's why I want you to give an overview on it. Are uh, you so you're talking about the, the plot components and stuff? Yeah, yeah exactly. So the, um, the, the core rule book, uh, the core rule book got into this idea of plot components where it was just a way to help you develop some stories. And I just took that to the next level and said, well, okay, so I need I need a plot ideas for command officers and plot ideas for con officers, knowing that this was going to be the template for the next two books as well. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to get it, you know, quote unquote, right in the command book so that the other writers could could develop it further in the science book and the operations book. And so this was just a way to help the game master and I, mean, I guess the players to a certain extent come up with more story ideas. Like if you're because like my conceit is that um you know a good star trek rpg is a um is a ensemble game right and so some episodes will be focused heavily on certain characters and like other characters may not get quite as much of the focus so if you as you're playing through a campaign if you know your con officer or your command officer hasn't had a lot to do and you need to give them an episode here's an opportunity okay like next next episode i want to run a command level out episode for my commanding officer roll on the on the random table get an idea look at the paragraph description say oh first contact okay i can do something with this and then type you know build it into your campaign and, and go from there yeah. um is that the kind of level that you were looking for for this yeah exactly and i just wanted to point that out because if you're wondering like well you know i need an a story or a b story what are some general acceptable what are some general themes in star trek that i can use and again i encourage you to just read the paragraph and believe me you'll find the conflict in it um you know so i i just want people to understand what that what those plot components are because i know they show up in other books too mm -hmm. uh, that are yeah. coming out yeah, um, really, really just game master tools um i even i i, I had forgotten that i dropped in some uh, some episode suggestions yeah um but yeah just really trying to give give game masters more tools to uh to just spark the imagination. Exactly. Same likewise with social conflicts. Again, I think um, some of the biggest accolades we hear about the game is that 
we find people who are doing entire episodes without blowing stuff up and fist fights and phasers. And that's because they've really latched on to Star Trek. What it's well known for is riveting social conflict. And so you have quite an expansive child uh, chapter in here about how to structure a social conflict. Mm-hmm. And again, you can roll dice on it if you want to um, at other times you can make an extended task for an, a social conflict and it gives us the basis for that if you feel you need it some player groups don't need it for social conflict they just are great improv actors <laughs> yeah yeah and this whole this whole chapter all, all of this about social conflict uh this is all nathan uh he wrote almost all of this and uh, a, a lot of this had meant to go into the core book we just mm-hmm. didn't have space for it all and so we we wanted it we wanted to get it out to players as soon as possible and that's partly why it made sense to do the command source book right away um, because all this is tied into 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 command, and really, it's, it's like you know, captains, counselors, um, commanding officers, XOs can all use this stuff. I mean, really, any officer could use it, but especially it made sense to fit it here in command. Good. All right. So now I'm going to talk about the one section that irritated me and upset me, but you fixed it <laughs> years later, so it's okay. And that was 5.4 about star bases. I was like, how can you take something as extensive and complex as a star base and reduce it to three? pages i i was i remember i was like no no sorry but i will tell everyone spoiler alert it's been completely fixed by the time you get to the shackleton expanse campaign guide if you have <laughs> so i don't know what you just must have run out of room on this one i mean we, it, it was it was it's that constant push pull of uh of a budget and page count and all that stuff where we couldn't fit this into the core book and we knew we had three or four pages here and we just made it we made it fit uh, you know, the same thing with awards accommodations. We didn't have room for that in the core book. So we, we managed to shoehorn that in here too. I thought um, this was a great place for it though, because yeah. the, who gives out the awards and accommodation? Command right. staff. You don't get it from a uh, cadet. So I, I love this. And the minute this came out, it was the perfect timing in my game because they all pretty much saved the universe. They actually, mm-hmm. they saved the Romulan star system. And so they all got um, some sort of award, which they use every single game somehow. Um, so I thought this was a really good design. Did Nathan design this concept too? The um, awards and commendations is a yeah. game mechanic. Yep, that's yeah. all Nathan. Yeah, I encourage people because this is the only place, it's not in the original core book, rule book. So if you want to see actually legitimate awards and commendations that were mentioned in canon, you have them here and the benefits that they give to your player character, which I think is really cool. Yep. All right. Um, so we talk a little bit about fleet engagements um, and and how to play that, how to simplify the game in order to do fleet engagements, which I've actually used and it saved my life uh, during a talk to us a little bit. If people don't understand what a fleet engagement is and the simplified rules, Jim. Um, I'd have to. Re- <laughs> so I'll tell. OK, so if you, got, if you got it fresh in your mind, I think this was a way to kind of like get it um, a little bit of a tactical ish combat storytelling where instead of just being in charge of the one ship, you're in charge of a, a group of ships. Yeah, it's actually an amazing design. I, I will tell people, keep a written note as you're playing it, because what it does is if you play every role for every shot and every ship in a combat, if you're especially if you're playing like a Deep Space Nine Dominion War level, you know, you're dealing with hundreds of ships at a time. Let's scale it down to just dozens of ships at a time. This was a simplified way that with a roll of a dice, you're determining basically how many ships are being taken out each turn. So you're not playing every single story. You're, you're focusing on just your ship, but 
at the end of a turn, once you use this fleet combat system, kind of thins out the herd. And then from a narrative point, you can make it glorious, these battles. We wrote such, if our, our um, people succeeded in the dice roll, I let my players write the narrative. Okay, how did you just take out those two ships out of five? What did that look like? And they went to work writing it and we ended up with a dominion level combat at this point. So this chapter again, seem to fall at the perfect time. And it's a great way to simplify when you have multiple ships in a confrontation. Mm, nice. All right. And then we come to the very last chapter about command personnel. So anything you want to highlight before we close out? Yeah, this was just an opportunity to provide more uh, non-player characters for game masters to use. Um, just uh, you know, a mix of characters pulled from canon uh, and then just some original stuff. Uh, just to give um, some variety to player characters that you could use or NPCs that you can use in your campaign. And then some like some archetypes, like, you know, you got some, uh, some diplomats and some different uh, minor and notable characters that you could, you know, add texture to your games. If, if you didn't want to build one yourself, you just grab one out of the book and, uh, um, and run it from there. Yeah. It's really good. Of course, one of my favorite characters, Waxana Troy is in here and then, the admiral I love to hate is uh, Vice Admiral Necheyev. She's yeah. in here. So there's people from canon with their focuses. Um, if you're filling up your sheet and need support characters, like Jim said, if all of a sudden you need a negotiator in PC, you can just grab it, boom, add them a couple more focuses, slap a picture on it and go to town um, mm -hmm. as opposed to having to scratch your head and figure out what, what focuses and what their attributes and disciplines would be. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right. Fantastic. Oh my goodness. This is just the command division, Jim. That's a lot. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd say, I, I feel like, uh, I don't, I don't see a lot of chatter on, uh, on the, on social much about the division books. And I almost wonder if either people have just forgotten what's in them or are sleeping on them a bit or, or, or just, you know, haven't looked at them yet, but, uh, there are great ways to do deeper dives into your character, depending on what division you're playing, assuming you're playing Starfleet anyway. Um, yeah, I think yeah, that's just a wealth of material in here. I think honestly, I can tell you what happened. I think it came out around the same time as the Delta as the quadrant books. Yeah. There was there was I bought them in a bundle. So I there was a bundle that was for sale and I bought everything in a bundle. And mm -hmm. literally there's so much you can't possibly absorb it all. But yeah. as you progress through the story, I know now I pull them out and I'm like flipping through them reading them at a different pace. I'm like, oh, this is all about specialty. Um, mm -hmm. And it's actually helping me flesh out background stuff on characters because I can ask some questions like, how did you deal with this when you were back in the academy? Um, mm -hmm. so, so definitely if people miss them, check them out. If you have them on your shelf, reread them, especially if you're playing a long campaign with players and you want to get more finite details. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, and like, uh, you know, un unlike a, you know, a novel or something, you don't have to read these cover to cover. You can, you can take little sub chapters here and there and just, you know, savor the, uh, the, uh, the, <laughs> the savor the experience, you know, you don't yeah. have to dig it all all at once. Yeah. I would actually take a mission brief. One last piece of advice, take a mission brief, take a chapter from one of these and overlay that on the mission brief. And you could just be talking about something and then you still have the action and the mission brief happening. Um, mm -hmm. But, pull, you know, I'm at the point now where I want to do everything. So I have to start melding everything together to get to play everything. So that would be a suggestion. I would love to hear how people are using that. Yeah. 
Absolutely. All right. As per our norm, it's time for shout outs to the brick and mortar, um, which have been nice enough to stock these books and get them out to the public. Um, <laughs> we, we do appreciate that. I'm going to shout out um, to Around the Table in Linwood, Washington. Keith Jacobson mentioned them. Some of these might be getting multiple shout outs because I get so many shout outs. I'll give a couple more. Stephen Ward, Leisure Games in North London is, is, is their favorite game shop. Carter Michael uh doe honey talks about black diamond games in concord california that's right around that's not too far from me one of my uh, uh nephews who loves star trek is is in that same town and i'll give two more guy hudson patriot games in sheffield united kingdom is their favorite um store and finally um jason marden talks about he he actually shouts out three store. So I don't know if he travels a lot, but he talks about Bolston Wargaming, Jack in the Box, Ripley, and Escape Games. So those are shout outs this week to those brick and mortar. We love y'all. Jim, you want to give your shout outs or thank yous? Yeah, shout outs and thank yous to, uh, I mean, really, this will be a big one, but uh, like all the all the writers, developers, editors, etc. For all that, for all that great nonfiction Star Trek stuff that came out in the 80s and 90s, that that informed all the RPGs that I ran, and uh, all the RPGs that came before us, just uh, there's just so much great material out there, and all of it, all of it found its way in one form or another into all these books. So just thanks to all of them for giving us the opportunity to 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 take their stuff and then and expand upon it. So thanks for all that stuff. All right, another fantastic episode of Continuing Conversations for all of you who said our uh, podcasts are too short. This is for <laughs> you. For all of those who thought it was too long, remember you can listen to it in two parts and then that makes it shorter. So you can yeah. still listen to it all. You can just break it up as you're driving in your commute or cleaning the house or whatever you do. Yep. Right. Great things. I-D-I-C. Live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. Talk to you next time.